Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you, choir and Cindy. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to be reading from verse 19 through 22 here in a moment. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you, we have one provided for you in the pew in front of you. Uh, And you can turn to page number 956 and find our text of Scripture. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 19 through 22. The pledge of allegiance to the flag of the United States is a promise of loyalty. The first edition of our pledge was written in in 1892. It was to celebrate the 400th anniversary of Columbus's discovery or Columbus's arrival in the Americas. The author of the pledge was a fellow by the name of Francis Bellamy. He was a Baptist preacher, but don't get excited. He was also a socialist, which I do not know how that worked out for him. But he was a Baptist preacher and a socialist. And he wrote the first edition of the Pledge of Allegiance to serve in any country. He wanted it to be used in any country for any citizen of said countries. And it read, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. As a matter of fact, he printed the instructions for reciting the pledge in the September 1892 edition of The Youth's Companion, a magazine. And he instructed the youth of the nation that when you recited the Pledge of Allegiance, you had the signal from the principal, the students were to stand in ranks hands to the side facing the flag. And at one point, the principal would give the cue during the recitation and they'd raise their hands like this. 
And then when they got to another point in that brief pledge, they were to extend their hands like this, palm upward to the flag. I doubt there's anybody in this room who remembers the gesture holding the hand up that way, but that's how it was originally. In 1923, the words were added to that pledge, the flag of the United States of America. And it read, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And our school children and anywhere else the pledge was recited, there was movement. There was this, this, and this. And then something happened in Europe. A man came to power by the name of Adolf Hitler. And he forced upon his citizens a salute, which changed the way we wanted to salute our flag. We wanted to show a difference. It was one of the very wonderful statements of American exceptionalism. And that's when, at the onset of World War II, when the gesture was putting your hand over your heart, which is what I grew up in. I remember in class saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I remember we, we still open our city hall meetings and, and our government meetings was saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And by the way, in our school district, they still start the day with the Pledge of Allegiance. And our students hand, hold their hand over their hearts. On June, well, around 1954, it was during the Cold War. Hitler had been defeated. Militarism had been defeated in the Pacific. Our men and women had come home, and America began to be built by the greatest generation that saved the world for democracy. And the Cold War heated up. Atheistic, communistic Russia, the Soviet Union, was gaining ground and power. And there was a representative in Congress from Michigan, Tim Reed, from Michigan. His name was Louis C. Rabah. And he wanted to put into the Pledge of Allegiance the phrase, under God. And it was greatly debated. It was a hot debate all across the country. You see, progressivism as we see it today is not new. It's just louder. And it's more available with media than it ever has been. And there was this move to oppose his bill to put under God into the Pledge of Allegiance. It made it through, and it was sitting on Eisenhower's desk. The, Senate, the, the representative Rabal said, adding the phrase under God will give the young people of our nation a deeper understanding of the real meaning of patriotism. And Eisenhower, by the way, who, who was the very first president to profess Christ while in office, 
and the very first president to begin his presidency with a worship service nationally. Very first president. He was somebody whose faith, if you read Eisenhower's history and his biographies, you, you will see a growth in his Christian faith through his whole careers as the commander-in-chief of the forces in Europe and then on up uh, into the presidency. A, a, a man who, who grew in his faith in Christ. And this bill, to put the phrase under God, sat in his office on his desk for some time until one day in 1954, he went to church in Washington, D.C. He attended a worship service at the New York Avenue Presbyterian Church. The pastor's name or the preacher's name that day was George Doherty. And there's a picture of Doherty and Eisenhower. And Doherty got up and preached a patriotic sermon. And he said to omit the words under God in the Pledge of Allegiance is to omit the definitive factor in the American way of life. And then this bold preacher preaching to the president said that the atheists who opposed this addition were denying America the Christian ethic and therefore they fall short of the American ideal of life. And he said, an atheistic American is a contradiction in terms. God bless that old Presbyterian preacher. I want to meet him when I get to heaven. Today he would be canceled. But I agree with him. So cancel me. Eisenhower was convicted and convinced that under God needed to be in our Pledge of Allegiance and spoken in our schools and in our institutions across the country. And he signed it into law. And now we have our pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Two years later... Eisenhower signed into law our nation's motto, which is, In God We Trust. It was Eisenhower. So we have three great things that happened in that era of time. Three great things that would bring about the blessings of God on America, and it would see its greatest economic growth, its greatest security perhaps in, in modern history. Truman, who recognized the state of Israel, the first in the world, and Eisenhower's recognition that we must, at best we can, pledge allegiance, recognizing that we are a nation under God. The progressive move to remove God from our institutions is nothing new. As I told you, this Bill was debated and fought against, and, and um, it was controversial even back then in the 50s. And we have seen it is still 
controversial to this day. In 2002, I didn't say 1962, but in 2002, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals determined that the phrase under God is unconstitutional, and it represents a fundamental assault on our American identity. They disagreed with that old Bible-believing Presbyterian preacher who said to omit it does away with our American identity. Now in 2002, they're saying to keep it in there does away with our American identity. And things, and things flipped around. And uh, the Supreme Court overruled the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and everybody was happy. I remember when, that, when the Supreme Court overturned that lower court and how happy I was. But then I commenced to reading and watching and listening. And I found out, like you did, that the Supreme Court did not dismiss that or, or overturn the Ninth Circuit Court on moral grounds, but they did so on procedural grounds. The Supreme Court did not affirm the saying under God was constitutional. It was a five to four, five to four decision only based on the fact that the plaintiff did not have legal standing. Sandra Day O'Connor defended the phrase by saying, under God is meaningless in our Pledge of Allegiance. And it's a procedural issue, not a moral issue. So we came mighty close to eradicating under God, out of our Pledge of Allegiance. Now, why is this so important? Why, why is that an issue? Why is the history of the Pledge of Allegiance something I would begin a sermon from? Well, words give way to one's way, folks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of its documents, out of its pledges, a nation speaks. And so it develops our worldview. Now, allow me to show you something else that's important. A lesson from the Pledge of Allegiance. You didn't think you were coming to history or civics class today. But you will be tested. This is how we recite the pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I pledge allegiance to the flag. That's how we say it. While we do pause in our recitation for the sake of just our cadence, I assume. I don't think it's anything spiritual. I don't think we are in it. We are doing it on purpose. I think we just miss the fact of the grammar of how the pledge is written. And so we pause between one nation and under God. And in reality, there's no pause. There's no comma. Have you ever noticed that? No comma. And it really is to be recited 
is this. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You say, well, preacher, what's the difference? Well, I don't think there is a difference in terms of your speech, but it serves as a good illustration for me to make a good point today. We put a comma in it, and when we put a comma in it, in the way we recite it, we put the word under God as just one of the characteristics of our country. Our country that we pledge allegiance to is under God. It's one nation. It's under God. It's indivisible. It has liberty and justice for all. But the way the pledge is written and really was intended to be is one nation under God. Unless we are under God, we are not indivisible. We are fragmented. And wouldn't you say that we have rejected God, we have rejected His sovereignty over us, we have rejected His Word, and our country is fragmented. We are <laughs> divisible. We are politically divisible. It's about 50-50 up there in Washington. We are divided morally. We're divided morally. We're divided financially. We're divided in every which way. As a matter of fact, we're even divided in our churches. There's some pastors, most of them younger than me, that would say, I shouldn't even preach a patriotic sermon. We shouldn't even have the flags on the platform. We shouldn't play patriotic songs. That's nationalism, not Christianity. Well, they make me mad. I choose to get mad. Amen. Because it's that old holdover from the Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, administration that said, let's get our conservative Bible preaching preachers out of politics because they're influencing in the voters. So let's threaten to shut them down and let's rewrite this separation of church and state business so they can't speak against what we're doing. And they can't speak against abortion because abortion is political. Now you can't speak against transgender because transgender is political. Well, I want to tell you, God addressed those things first, Mr. President. And so uh, we're divided even in our churches. We're a divided nation. We're probably divided in here. And wouldn't you say liberty our liberty is held in question today. We're on the verge of losing our liberties. Talk to your congressman and ask him what is on the horizon in terms of bills and legislation being written that would jeopardize freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Because we're not under God. Our nation as a whole is not under God's authority. Mississippi's not under God. Did you know 60% of Mississippians say that it's not important that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Did you know that? 60% of the people in our Bible Belt state is lost and without Christ. 
And so liberties come. We're divided. And there's certainly no justice for all. No justice for all. It's not equal justice, equal application of the law. And so how we recite the pledge and our grammatical way of reciting the pledge, I don't think has a bearing on that. But it's a good illustration that we need to take that comma out and realize we are nothing if we're not under God. We're nothing if we're not under God. Now, I will tell you that, that in recent times when I studied that and considered that, I would go somewhere uh, to a government meeting, city hall meeting, or somewhere and, and say the Pledge of Allegiance, and I'd say, I'm going to say it correctly this time. And everybody around me would turn around and look at me like I'd, you know, messed up. And I wanted to say, you're the one who messed up. But uh, so I don't think we'll ever teach Americans that there's no comma there, but that's okay, all right? Don't, don't beat yourself up. But next time you're in a group that says the Pledge of Allegiance, say it correctly and, and see how awkward it is to say correctly. It really is. But that's where we are, and it, it's not because we say the Pledge of Allegiance incorrectly with a comma, but it's because we are progressively besieged by the progressive left and those that deny God. And in every quarter, in every quarter we are compromising. We really are. Government, business, media, the church. But there's always rays of hope and God always has his remnant. I was talking to our congressman the other day on the phone, and he, he, he said, uh, Dr. Mike, he said, there's a lot of Christians up here in our caucus. There's a lot of Christians up here. And he said, there are godly men and godly women up here. And I said, well, congressman, uh, I'm glad to hear that, but you never hear about that. You, you, you see some values from some of them when they get on the news, but you don't never hear that. And he said, because the forces against it are so hard and so loud, even though in the House they're, they're, in, a, they're in a small majority, the minority is so loud. And I said, well, what about the Senate? He said, we're in trouble. But... Um, there are gleanings of hope. There really are. And you know, the church needs to stand. And the church needs to speak biblical convictions. I got so tickled with the Bud Light situation. Remember that? And, and I remember sitting at, at the house and I looked at my beautiful red-headed wife who plays the saxophone in our church. And I said, you know, I said, the beer-drinking crowd takes a stronger stand than the church does. And I said, but my problem with that is, is, is I've, I, they're all upset about the, about the picture on the outside of the can. I've been preaching about the poison inside the can for years. Amen. <laughs> now, that's good preaching whether you drink Bud Light or not. 
So what is the God-fearing, Christ-honoring, Bible-believing, born-again Christian to do? What can we do? How can we curb the, the tide? How can we honor God? What can you do and what can I do to keep at least the name of God in our documents, in our pledges, so our words don't give way to total chaos in terms of our morality and spiritual life. What, what does a Christian do? How do we be good citizens, Christian citizens in this world, in this country of ours? Well, I want to give you three things from our text. We're going to get to the Bible now. Three things from our text, but let me, let me reiterate again. I'm so thankful to be an American. I'm thankful for my freedoms. I'm thankful for those who have paid the price and those who serve now and those who've served in our services and wrote that blank check. As a matter of fact, if you're a veteran or an active service uh, person, I want you to stand up. I, want to, I just want to say thank you and recognize you. God bless you for your service to our country. I love you. I... I uh, I'm one of the last generations of pastors who, who have been able to, to serve um, uh, pastor veterans all the way back to World War II. You know, there's, the next generation of pastors will probably not have World War II veterans in their church. And then the next will be the Korean veterans and then on down. But I want to tell you through history. But I want to tell you I'm thankful for all our veterans, wartime veterans, peacetime veterans. I'm thankful for them and I appreciate them. Uh, years ago, in our second church, there was a, a lady in that church named Ma Frizzell. Her name was Frizzell, Ma Frizzell. And she was, uh, I, she was way up in her 80s when I became her pastor. And her husband had just died about three years before I got on the field. And she uh, was a wonderful Christian lady, and her husband was a World War I vet. I missed it by three years being a World War I veterans pastor. Now, I moved here, and some of you fought in the Civil War, but that's not World War I. But anyway, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't. All of you are looking around. Who, who, who? Proverbs 24, our text, tells us three things to do, but I want to tell you something, folks. The entire Bible tells us what to do and how to live in this world and be Christian citizens. Let's read Proverbs 24, beginning in verse 19. Fret not thyself because of evil men, neither be thou envious of the wicked, for there shall be no reward to the evil man. The lamp of the wicked shall be put out. My son, fear thou the Lord and the king, and meddle not with them that are given to change, for their calamity shall rise suddenly and who knoweth the ruin of them both? So I want to give you three things to do. Number one, have confidence in Christ. Have confidence in Christ. Fret not because of evil doers. Whether they're in office or on Main Street, wherever they may be, fret not because of evil doers. Let me ask you this question. Are you a praying Christian? Are you habitually praying? Are you a student of the Bible? 
Have you read the end of the book in a prayerful way? Are you experiencing the peace that passes understanding which is promised to all believers? Or do you fret about our nation and what's going on in our world? The word fret, it's an old word. I can remember my grandmother saying, don't be fretting about that. We don't use that word anymore. I don't know what word they use. But I can remember them saying, don't fret about that. Don't fret. The Hebrew word fret is a verb written in a reflexive tense, which means it comes back on you. It's on you. And so what this word says is basically it means to heat oneself up with vexation. To heat oneself up with vexation. Let me say this. If you're a born-again Christian and you believe the Bible, and you watch the news, and you get all fired up and worried and panic and fret, that's on you. That's not on the news. And it's not Joe Biden's fault, and it's not Donald Trump's fault. It's your fault because it is a reflexive verb, and it's on you. And Solomon says, don't fret over evildoers in this world. Don't heat yourself up with vexation. If you're always worried about the happenings in our world and the debates in our world, getting upset, mad, vexed, you're heating yourself up. And if you're a follower of Christ and you live in anxiety and worry, that is on you. The problem isn't what's going on in the world. The problem is you. Because you're fretting and you're letting yourself all get bent out of shape and all upset. It's on you. Dear friend, build your faith. Get in the Word of God and have confidence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I read the end of the book and He wins and I'm in Him and I win too. He's coming for His church. This is not my home. I mean, when I get, when I get tempted to get vexed, when old Sean Hannity just gets me vexed, I say, Sean Hannity's not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. I win. And don't get all fretted up about it. My goodness, have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you how, how to think from this text, verse 19 and 20. Number one, confident. be confident that God in Christ has something better for you than the wicked and what's on earth. He says, neither be thou envious of the wicked. Do not be envious of the wicked. I do sometimes look around and say, boy, that is a wicked man. That is a wicked woman. How do they get away with it? How come the FBI doesn't come down on them? How come they can get away with their illegal wicked deeds? God, where is your judgment? Where is your judgment? But then I remind myself that the Bible says, that's my business. God says, that's my business. You don't fret about it. You look for a better day, and there's something better for you than for him on this earth. Amen. We look for a better day. Folks, let me tell you why you're so uncomfortable about all this going on in the world. You're not at home. You're not at home. 
Did you hear what I said? Two of you heard what I said, and they're sitting on the front row. You are not at home. Our home is in glory. Our home is in heaven. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful he lets me be an American until I get up to heaven. But I want to tell you something. You're not at home. There's something better for you. We look forward to a better day. And then confidence that God in Christ is going to judge the wicked. Verse 20, he is going to take care of it. He is going to judge sin in his own time. God will bring them to ruin. And if you are in Christ, he will bring you to rapture. And so have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have confidence in him. Trust his word. Trust his promises. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good fretting material. Nope. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I go to prepare, to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I have got to come again. It just makes common sense. I've got to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be. Now, he said, where I am, there you may be. He said it for folks like us who like to fret. He says, where I am, you will be there. Have confidence in our Savior. Have confidence in his word. Believe it and apply it. Live by faith and please God. Have confidence in Jesus. Do you have confidence in Jesus? Let me tell you something. We got a presidential election coming up. The last presidential election, I preached through 1 Samuel. Because I wanted us to see leadership in the Bible. This coming up, I started 2 Samuel. We'll resume in August on 2 Samuel, chapter 7. I'm doing it because it's a presidential election time. I want us to see leadership. I want to see the leadership of David in the Bible. So we can see what kind of leaders God would want us to have. And leaders that, that God would want us to vote for. But I want to tell you something. I don't have one ounce of confidence in anybody running for public office on any level. I don't because they're human. But my confidence lies in the Lord Jesus Christ, keeping his promises to me and fulfilling his word. Amen. I don't even have confidence in the animal control guy. While we were away at Proverbs with the pastor, my neighbor called and said, you got a problem. And I said, what's the problem? And he said, a, a feral cat has gotten your doves off your front porch. Well, I said, shoot it. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that to you because some of you are going to be offended. Well, we got straight cat. Well, that means we, you can't have confidence in anybody but Jesus Christ. Don't even have confidence in me. Have it in Jesus. Have it in Jesus, keeping his word. Amen. Do you have confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you do, you can overcome your fretting. It's going to be all right because Jesus is coming. Jesus is large and in charge, and he's sovereign. Isn't that wonderful? Folks, he didn't fall in his temptation. He didn't yield. He went to the cross. 
He went to the grave and he rose again. He won. The victory's won over sin and death. We just got to have the funeral. It's done. And then the second thing, look at verse 21. My son, fear thou the Lord. You got to have confidence in Christ and you got to have conviction in Christ. Fear the Lord. Live for Jesus. Serve Jesus. Be obedient to Jesus. Live out your life for Christ and in honor and reverence for Him and His Word. Be obedient to Him. Fear the Lord. Fear the judgment of God upon the lost and be a witness, a verbal witness with the gospel for the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, have confidence in the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. Amen. A wise old preacher told me one time about horse and pony shows and big extravagant events and all, and this is what he said. He said, what you, get, what you do to get them, you got to do to keep them. And then you got to outdo yourself to keep them some more. He said, so just preach the simple gospel that men are lost without Jesus, that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again so they can repent of their sins and not go to hell and be born again and live productive lives for the Lord and have conviction in Christ Preach that over and over again, and you'll get them and you'll keep them. And so you got to have conviction in Christ. Fear the Lord. Be a witness and trust the gospel to be the power of God unto salvation. Trust God to bless your efforts. Live a repentant life. Fear the Lord. Live a life of repentance. I shared with our youth in Proverbs with the pastor this week something that I observed, something that I noticed. It was remarkable to me. You know, we got who's your mission. And we've been praying for lost souls to be saved. And we've had a wonderful, wonderful uh, year of baptisms and, 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 and people joining, more so than we've had in recent years. God is really blessed. But I want to tell you when it really got started, when a zeal filled my soul and yours too. And people really started talking about who's your mission. It wasn't because of anything I preached, but I did preach. It was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. I was preaching a sermon from 2 Samuel on David and his wives. And the sermon title was Acceptable Sins. Anybody remember that sermon? And I preached about David's sin of polygamy and how it was acceptable in that culture and how we just take a sin and we think we're okay with God because we're not being judged at that time. We're not feeling any of, of, of chastisement at that time. But they always get us later and how David's polygamy didn't cost him anything when he was young, but when he started having his sons got grown and life went on, that's when it cost him. That's when the sin came to bite him. And then I talked to you about some, some uh, sins that um, uh, are acceptable in our society, in our culture. And I mentioned fornication, how young couples now are living together rather than getting married more and more. There's more and more of it. But then I told you a story about somebody saying to me, 
Preacher, you like westerns. I said, I sure do. He said, well, let me tell you one western that you ought to go watch. You'd love it. And we turned on that uh, huh? Yellowstone, and we didn't watch it three minutes and were offended because they take the name of the Lord God in vain. And I preached to you about how that's Kevin Costner taking his name in vain, but you're also taking it because Kevin Costner's taking the money out of his pocket and bringing it to you, and you're extending the hand and taking it. It's active and passive taking. And I preached that. And I remember telling Tracy in the sermon, 1-800-U-Haul is who we need to call. But I had countless number, many of you text me all week, come up to me that day, the next Sunday, and they say, Preacher, we got under conviction. We, were, we, we, we got rid of that station. We don't watch that stuff anymore. You're right. It's wrong to take God's name in vain and receive it and love it and be entertained in it. And I want to tell you what began to happen. People began to get saved. People began to join the church because we began to fear God. Amen. And when church members and pastor repents of their sin, God blesses it because we fear him. We fear what he will do, but we also fear what he will not do if we keep sin in our life. And so have a conviction in Christ Jesus. You're going to fear God and be obedient and be a witness for souls and be obedient to what the church is to do on earth, the Great Commission. And so confidence in Christ Conviction in Christ, that's how you live. If we're going to be lights in this world, we're going to have to live as Jesus would have us live. Holy, separate lives. We're the light of the world, is what Jesus said. We're a light on a hill. And I want to tell you what, the darker this old world gets, the darker this country gets, the brighter we'll shine if we're right with Jesus. We'll be a brighter light. And you know what a bright light does on a dark night? Attracts the bugs. But we don't zap them. We baptize them. Amen. <laughs> Cole, that's good preaching whether you like it or not. Is that good? All right. Conviction in Christ. Number three, what our text tells us to do. Citizenship in Christ. Citizenship in Christ. He says, fear the Lord and the king. Verse 21. Fear the Lord and the king and meddle not with them that are given to change. Fear the king. Honor the officials God and his sovereign providence has given us honor the office and the officer I hope I'm correct but I've heard military men who would say you salute the rank not the man and if you do not like who is in office whether it's our dog catcher or whether it's our mayor or whether it's our president or our congressman or our future president you honor the institution and you honor the office you fear the king and you have respect for our institutions in this country. Honor the office, not the officer, if need be. If need be. It is very imperative that the church 
honor the institutions of America. May I remind you that God has used this institution called our Constitution for over 240 years. Well, that's our Declaration of Independence. For over 200 years to preserve our religious freedom. You honor the institutions. Learn from our, the sins of our past. Learn from our national issues and sins and problems and injustices from the past. But honor the institution and have respect for the institutions of our country. Save up your money and take our kids to Washington, D.C. and show them the buildings that represent our institutions. I took mine to Washington, D.C. on several occasions. I took mine to Arlington Cemetery. And I took them right in front of Omar Bradley's grave. And I told them the history of the soldier's soldier, Omar Bradley. I took them way out into the middle of that white, whited, those white tombstones. And I found Ira Hayes. And I told them the story about Ira Hayes. We put rocks on top of Ira Hayes' grave. And I told them about what Arlington is all about. I took them to the White House. We got to the White House and got in line. First time, it was canceled. But the second time, we got in line to go to the White House. And the Secret Service gave us some trouble. Miss Tracy, they pulled aside and said, we need to see your credentials to go into the White House. I said, well, if anybody's a communist, it's not her. I promise you. Well, we got into the White House. And it was during, um, uh, well, I think I'd voted for that president. So anyway, we did good. So it was happy time. And then we, we went to see the, the halls of Congress went to the House of Representatives, had a tour from, from one of uh, Trent Lott's aides, and then got into the uh, Senate side, stood in Statue Hall. I want to tell you what, you honor the institutions, and you teach them, your children, that men are sinners, but God can use them for His good. That's what you do. You fear the king. Get you a good book. Let me give you a good book. If I were a history teacher in college, this would be my textbook. Land of Hope and an Invitation to the American Story by Wilford McCoy. Read that book. He talks about the flaws and faults of our leaders all the way back to Washington, all the way up to President Obama. But he talks about the institution of our country and how the Constitution was written by men who not, were not necessarily Christian men, but they had respect and fear of the God of the Bible. And we've been over to, able to overcome many of our national sins because of what was written in our Constitution. Not because our men were always noble, but because of what was written in our Constitution. And you respect it. And you say, why are you talking to us about this? Because of the next line in the text. Do not meddle with them that are given to change 
What does that mean? Well, that is a reference to what we might call today activism. The rioting. What we saw in the last couple of summers over the past few years. The activists, they call themselves. And it's a reference to how you change a nation. You do not meddle. You, you do not involve yourself with those who would say, we're going to change things in our country. We're going to burn down cities. We're going to tear down statues. We're going we're to disrupt the lives, the personal lives of our Supreme Court justices. You don't do that. He says in this text, don't meddle with those who are trying to change the nation that way. You change it through the process that God has given us in this country. Easier is hard, but it's easier than what it is in most countries. We are to be good citizens, Christian citizens, and change the nation. Christian people change their nation through prayer, through carrying out our mission. We win America to Christ by winning Americans to Christ. We fulfill the great commission that God has given us as Christian people. That's how we change America. We have ping pong balls that we turn orange here at First Baptist Ocean Springs by sharing the gospel one American at a time, our family and our friends and our coworkers and our mission. That's what we do. But what do we do in the world, in our nation? I'll tell you what we do. We call them names. Our politics is so vitriol and hateful, it's embarrassing. And while China is building up its military, we're tearing down one another in our government halls. And we're destroying character. And I know one side is better at it than the other, but I want to tell you there's guilt on every side. And there's some things said that ought not be said. I'm not going to say them because they ought not be said. But I feel like, oh, I'm tempted right now. Tell you some things a Christian ought never say about our president, our current president. Let me tell you something, folks. Whether you like him or not, he's the president of the United States. That's an institution that blood has been shed for to keep. I'm grateful we don't have a monarchy. We have a president. And you can vote him out every four years if you want to. And you can pray him out. But I want to tell you, we respect the institution. Let me share with you. Now, presidential election is coming up. Let's say you're on the losing side. The guy you vote for or the lady you vote for loses. Let's say that. What are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to go down Washington Avenue and burn everything down. You're supposed to ride through the neighborhoods, and if you see a yard sign for the opposition, you throw eggs at that house. Is that what you do? Nope, you don't meddle with that kind of change. This is what you do. This is what you do. You ready? Here it is. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, government leaders, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good 
and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. What does that mean? It means you have confidence in Christ, you have conviction in Christ, and you have citizenship in Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means. Back in Proverbs, there's one more thing I want to show you in uh, our text. The Bible says in Proverbs 20, uh, 24, 21, 22, it's, it's talking about those that are out there protesting, tearing down, calling names, harassing our political leaders. It says, For their calamity shall rise suddenly, and who knoweth the ruin of them both? Both? Who's he talking about? Is he, talk, is he talking about those who were given to such change as we're talking about? Well, who's both? I'll tell you what he's saying. Go back to verse 21. Fear thou the Lord and the King, and meddle not with those that are given to change, for the calamity of those who are given to change rise suddenly. And who knows the ruin of them both? What ruin? From who? The ruin from the Lord and the ruin from the king. Because I want to tell you something, folks. We still live in a land of law and order. Do we not, Stan Harris? We still live in a land of law and order. And you violate the law in order to change the law, you're going to suffer the wrath of the king. And you might even suffer the wrath of the Lord. We need to be law-abiding citizens. Somebody suggested to me that I ought to get a license plate, special license plate. Now, I wouldn't be presumptuous to do this at all. I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. That says FBCOS1. I'd be too presumptuous. But there's another reason. I'd be scared to death. I'd ruin the testimony of the church on Highway 90. <laughs> Amen. Let's just vote right now that nobody gets to put FBCOS on their car. <laughs> you ever pull up behind one of those bumper stickers that says, Honk if you love Jesus, and you honk, and they give you a bad gesture? <laughs> I've done that. I seriously have done that. I want to tell you what we're to be. We're to be soul winners, prayer warriors, Voters, you go to work, you work hard as unto the Lord. You serve our country if God calls you to that, and you serve with diligence and, and, and dignity, and, and we appreciate that. But at work, you work for your boss, for your employer, as you're doing it for Jesus. That's what you do, and you give it your best. You go to school, guys, and you make straight A's as best you can. 
And when people pat you on the back and brag on you, and you say, all the glory goes to my Savior, Jesus Christ. And you win souls, you pray. You study the Scriptures so you can have the hope that is before you in Christ Jesus. And that's how you change America. Now one day, you might not get called up to D.C. or anywhere else where somebody will say, Well done, thou good and faithful American. But if you do that, you'll get to heaven one day and you'll have someone say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I'm after. Well, let me ask you something. Do you know Jesus? If you were to die today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? You know, years ago, I can remember people telling me, well, I know I'm a Christian because I'm an American. I've had people tell me that. I haven't heard that in about 25 years because we've gotten so far from God, even lost people recognize we're nowhere near Christian. But I want to tell you what, being an American won't make you a Christian. Being a Baptist won't make you a Christian. Being a Catholic, confirmed, won't make you a Christian. Being an Episcopalian won't make you a Christian. Only Jesus is your Savior. And you need to call upon the name of the Lord and confess your sin to Him and call upon Him and ask Him to save you. And you can be saved. And I want to tell you what, if you get saved today, give your life to Jesus today, let me tell you something, America has been changed. Right here. Christian, do you have somebody you need to win to Jesus? You need to speak the gospel to them. Do it. America will be changed. America will be changed. Maybe you have a, a, a fretting attitude. You're just as worried to death. Well, turn the, the news off. Just turn it off. It's, it's going to be all right. Turn it off. China's not going to fly no other balloon over here right now. You can turn it off. And open this Bible and read about the blessed hope we have in Jesus and learn to have confidence in Him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing Fox News. Nope, faith come by hearing and hearing the word of God. Amen. That's what you need. Let's stand for our song of appeal. If there is a decision you want to make for Christ, to pray, to join our church, to come and give your life to Jesus, you come forward and say, Preacher, Cole, I want to be saved. I want to make this decision. and We'll help you along the way. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com. 